Hello everybody, Lorraine here and I have my beautiful assistant Luna today and we are here with another episode of Sensory Matters. Now last week Jenny said she was away so this week you've got just me and Luna, the beautiful Luna. And um, what's been going on this week? The discounts in the VIC group are live. Yay, finally. If you're not a VIC you really want to go and subscribe because it's just amazing. Um, if you're listening to this and it's just the shorter version, go and subscribe to the VIC so that you can get the full version of the podcast. It's amazing. But anyway, this week Jenny has been chatting to Claire and she is an autism mum just like most of us and her son Tom does something quite incredible. He competes in gymnastics at countrywide, a countrywide level. Um, in mainstream gymnastics as well. He's just fantastic. Such a little superstar. But... Uh, You'll want to listen to this because you'll relate so much to Claire. I know that I have a lot in common with Claire and after watching this podcast, I have even more in common with her. Um, so yeah, Claire is Tom's mum. Tom is an amazing gymnast and they're obviously chewy gem lovers. And yeah, just have a listen and see if you enjoy it. We love a net and we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory matters. You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here again with another Sensory Matters show. And today we have got Claire with us. Hi Claire. Hiya. Hiya, how are you doing? Not too bad, thanks. Good. Now, Claire has a son, Tom, and he has autism, um, but he has gone on to do great things in a national gymnastics team. That's right, isn't it? It is, yeah. He's joined the Southwest team um, competing nationally, yeah. Fantastic. Is that something you ever thought he would end up doing? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and it all came from a doctor's suggestion. Um, okay. She came to see my, my daughter, who was poorly at the time, and he was hanging upside down um, from the door frame, as you do. Yeah. And it was her suggestion. She said, get him involved in gymnastics. So we did. Wow. So, and how, how has he taken to that? Um, amazing, to be honest. Um, we, have, we have good and bad days, obviously. Um, last week, at his first national competition, um, it was all a bit too much on the Friday, Okay. What what made it too much? Just um, well, I mean, it's quite a big venue and lots of people, lots of different people. Um, really noisy environment, and he just couldn't do anything. It just didn't happen. Okay. And it was a practice session, mm -hmm. and then on the Saturday morning we turned up, and the practice session again. He couldn't land anything. None of his gymnastics was working, and um, the competition started, and it was like someone flicked a switch. Away we went, and he, he, he did all of it. Perfect. Wow. And he came seventh. He came seventh, yeah. Which is so amazing. not bad for a first competition, yeah. Absolutely amazing. Brilliant. So being a national level, that, that, that's then a competition against gymnasts his age across the whole country? Yes. Um, this, the next one that's coming up in a few weeks' time in Birmingham, he will be competing in mainstream against um, neurotypical people. He will be... Um, Competing at people age 9 to 11 years old, 
um, or nine to 10 years old. So some of them are nearly 11. And, you know, he's only just turned nine as well. Great. And how long has he been doing it for? Uh, two and a half years now. Two and a half years. Wow. Okay. So let's let's go back in time a bit to um, Tom when he was younger and yeah. what life was like and when you started to think there could be something else going on. Um, I think I probably always suspected something because I had... He was a difficult baby. He didn't like to be in a buggy. He didn't like to be in a car seat. He didn't like any kind of movement. Um, he was a, you know, I mean, some children do go through the constant dribbling stage, but he, he never really stopped putting things around his mouth. Um, I think the big thing for me is when we came to start school, even though I had uh, a stepson and uh, another daughter who's only a year behind him, you could see that there was something a little bit different. He was a little bit quirky. But when it came to starting school, I think the sensory issues just became a bigger and bigger problem for him. OK, so what, what did that look like when he started school? Um, it was horrific. I used to have to, to drag him screaming to school every day and physically hand him to someone. Um, the thing that made things a little bit easier was we found him things to chew. Okay. And we had a little bit of resistance from school to start with, um, with allowing him to chew, you know, to take chewies in. Um, and that was, you know, that was nearly, well, five years ago. So, right. you know, long before he was diagnosed, yeah. and he would chew and chew and chew all day, every day. So holes in his clothes and yeah. but he had some big problems around food as well. Okay. Um, so he would barely eat, and it got to a point when someone at the school tried to force feed him a spoonful of beans. Oh. And he stopped eating. So we pulled him out of school for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spoke to the health visitor, and then we got dietitians involved, and we saw occupational therapists. And that's when they diagnosed the sensory processing disorder. Okay. So he would have been how old then? Uh, probably about five, maybe just coming up to six by the time we got that diagnosis. So you said you, you met some resistance with the school about chewing and having a tool in school for chewing. Did you manage to overcome that before you got the SPD diagnosis or did that then help you overcome that resistance? I think it was a bit of both. Yeah, I think I, if I remember rightly, we, we bought him something to chew on because he was chewing holes in his clothes. Mm. Um and they weren't that keen. But I tried to explain that obviously it was better that he did that. Yeah. Once he got the diagnosis for sensory processing disorder, um, I don't think actually that helped us much more. Okay. Um, even though it was written on paper that there was something, you know, going on there in the background for the you know, the reasons for why he was behaving the way he was and um that didn't help. Okay. Um, we moved schools at that point right so was he at, he went to a mainstream school at that point yeah. and you moved him schools to what 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 change did you choose um well we went we went from a small school of only say 67 children mm-hmm. to an even smaller school okay. of just um there are 29 children in in the village school that he goes to it is mainstream yeah but because there's only 14 in his class um you know it's it's a lot easier okay and during that time did you feel anything being at the school gates with the screaming child handing him over and all that sort of stuff how how did that impact on you at that point it was horrific because 
um, you do get judged by other parents. And quite quite often the comments of, um, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. You know, he's just he just doesn't like school. Boys don't like school. Um, and I wouldn't say people would judgmental as such, but they just don't understand. No. And it had a big impact on my daughter because obviously she was really smart and she, you know, she really wanted to, she was reading at three. She was really, yeah. she wanted to go into school and I barely got time to spend with her because I spent half my time handing over her screaming brother. Yeah. Um, and when we moved to a new school and we moved with a head teacher who, who understood a little bit more, um, it was, you know, she said, you know, she took me to one side and said, stop blaming yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a big, big thing. And so do you think you did blame yourself? Uh, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. Oh, blame yourself for what, though? Well, you start to believe after all that maybe that it is in your head and it isn't something that's wrong with your child or, you know, perhaps it's some way that I've done it, my parenting or... Um, and then he arrived at this lovely little school and fitted in from day one. He didn't cry on the first day we took him there. Wow. And, um, you know, we were going to ease them in gently with a sort of settling in period. And he didn't cry. So I just left him there. Great. Um, and we didn't go back to the other school at all. What made that difference for him then? Was it the size, do you think? I think size had a big thing to do with it because really small classes, I think in his year... There's only two classes in the school. So reception year one, year two, and then year three to six are all okay. in together. Right. And they're such small classes. And I just think he was in a hall when he was in his other school. So the sound was bouncing off the walls. And I just think the whole the whole classroom, the smaller sizes, um, dare I say it, better teaching... But, you know, it's, I think it was a combination of all of it. Okay. And he's still at that school now? He is, yeah. And still yeah. settled? Yeah. We we have our ups and downs. I don't think generally he likes school, but, okay. you know, there's not many children that do. No. So, um, but yeah, he's, a, he's, much, he's in a much better place. So you obviously live in quite a small village um, yeah. if you go to a small village school and you said, you know, you felt a little bit judged, etc. Did that impact on your life in the village at all? Did you, you know, hide away or confront it or how did you handle that? Um, I think I got myself into trouble a little bit here locally at the beginning because when I pulled him out, um Although I didn't directly say anything horrible about the school we'd pulled him out of, I just mentioned how great he was doing in another village school. Okay. And, um, oh, my goodness me, I got lynched. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, very oh. much so. Um, people that knew us quite well and knew what was going on in the background were quite good about it all, but there were a few families that made life a bit difficult for us, yeah. And we're almost, um, because we take the kids to one village and we live in this village, we are sitting on the edge of a lot of the stuff here we don't join in with. Right. We just don't get invited because we go to a different school now. But I don't know if that's... I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, we made it very public when Tom got his diagnosis. Did you? Yeah, we did. We, we put it everywhere because it was almost a, a way of me saying, see, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, I mean, it didn't always win us friends over. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I'm not afraid of upsetting people for helping my children. No, they come first, absolutely. 
Okay. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, it just must be very, very hard, especially because it's, it's not that people are bad, I don't think. It's just that they just really don't get it. No. Um, and and people love a good gossip and a good chat about stuff and they'll, you know, they'll talk about things without really knowing the facts or having any thought for the impact on that family at all. Okay, so sensory processing disorder diagnosis. So for him, noise, busyness, obviously he's very oral sensory. Are there any other of his senses that you, you see? Is it, is it visionary as well? Does he find lights difficult or...? Yeah, he doesn't like bright light. Um, we haven't we haven't done too much with that as as such. He he did have um, prescription sunglasses for a while, but okay. we haven't. He's not so keen on wearing those at the moment. Okay. Um, I think his biggest problem, bearing in mind that he does something like gymnastics that burns this amount of calories, is food intake. Right. Um, now he's getting as he's getting a bit older, he's getting better at explaining that he doesn't like the feel of the food in his mouth. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like to swallow. So um, he's not very good with wet food. Right. So we're really, really struggling with keeping his weight up at the moment. Yeah. Um, and school are having to, to help us try and keep track of what he's eating. And right. I'm getting the odd phone call at the moment saying, can I take pasta into school? <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay, so it's local, so it's not too bad. And I have an understanding boss. So yeah. Um, yeah, he really struggles with food. It's a big okay. problem for us. So very oral sensory then um, in that sense. So you said that, you know, he went through a stage where he just barely ate at all at school um, after the, the bean force feeding incident. Yeah. Um, that must have been absolutely petrifying. It was. Um, not only was I watching his weight plummet and he was a walking skeleton for ages, but... Um, it was also the fact that his immune system was then starting to suffer. So we would pick up one bug and it would take us a week to get over it. And then he would get another bug as he was coming out of that. And we just ended up with him constantly poorly. Yeah. Um, and the doctors recommended that we pulled him out of school for a while at that point as well. Right. So how, how did you overcome that? What tips could you offer people who've also got children that are very oral sensitive and can't tolerate certain foods? What are your oh, strategies? We're still we're still working on that one. That's a work in progress. Yeah. Um, we have taken on on board what the OT said about using um, chewing before meals. Okay. Um, and that's really difficult to control in school because I've tried to explain to them that if he chews, his mouth is better prepared for him to to yeah. eat his meals, and he's less sensitive um, okay. to to certain textures. Um, it's that's... about Sorry, just so I understand that. So the theory behind that is that if he's gone through the motion of chewing, then his mouth won't be as sensitive when it comes to eating. Yeah, okay. yeah, something along those lines. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't understand it fully myself, um, but it's about yeah. They were using vibrations, um, so vibrating toothbrushes around his mouth and his lips, mm-hmm. um, making sure that he's not really, really hungry. Um, and because that, that can also that feeling stops him from wanting to eat as well. How funny! Because so, you, you would have thought yeah, it'd be the other way around. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't understand that. You could hear his stomach growling with hunger, and yet he he just gone past that point. Mm-hmm. So we have to do smaller meals. So it's really important that he has snacks throughout the day, yeah. and they're not healthy snacks now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a case of getting in food so that his stomach doesn't shrink down as well. Yeah. Um. 
so if he you know I do try to put healthy things in there as well but there are a lot of you know we we are the exception to the healthy food rule at school unfortunately I don't think and you're the exception to the healthy food rule in the um, autism parenting world, though, because a lot of people struggle with this. And I know that Lorraine um, often says you've got to pick your battles and for her food just isn't one of them. She'll no. just give Jamie what what she'll eat to keep her alive. And and that's all she cares about. Yeah, I mean, we, we had that argument at, at school quite early on. And actually now they because they know he does go through phases where um say for example last week he hadn't been particularly well we had a competition coming up he was training hard and there were not enough calories going in and school were just in i think almost in a panic as i was as to we need to get something in so there were chocolate bars going into school and and it just to be honest he still wasn't eating them um, you know, we would just try everything. Mm -hmm. um, hence the panic phone calls about pasta in the middle of the day. Yeah. But the OTs did say to us, you know, about preparing him would help with that. Yeah. Um, but there are just some days where you know it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I guess it's one of the, the challenges for you, I would imagine, is you can't show your frustration or worry about it. That's really hard. I mean, the CAMS team, when we spoke to them a few weeks ago, would, told us to be beige. Be right. beige, and that's really difficult. Yeah, really difficult because it's having an impact on my daughter as well. She's a she's a really picky eater now. Yeah, it's bound to. Wow. Okay. So, how did you then move from what was going on that either led to the ASD diagnosis or made you seek an ASD diagnosis? Well, there were some other issues um, around anxiety and. He doesn't sleep, and for me, it was it was he was starting to tick more and more boxes. Mm -hmm. And I went to see the community paediatrician with my concerns and said, "You know, this is what we've been diagnosed with, and I don't think that's enough." Um, so they did some observations. Okay, they did a home one, um, which is always horrible having someone in your home because, however lovely they are, you do feel like you're being judged. Yeah. Um, and they looked at him at school and um, it, it was a specialist paediatric nurse that came out. Was, that, was said, that hard to, to arrange or did you find that quite easy to get access once, to? Once we'd seen the community paediatrician, mm -hmm. um, that was that happened quite quickly, actually. OK. So when we saw we saw the, the paediatrician, she was really lovely and they did some work within there and said, well, yeah, there are some definite areas that we need to look at. And they sent the nurse out quite quickly. Within a couple of months, we'd had her come to school. Um, and she wrote such a detailed report, it, I broke down in tears. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Sorry, I hope I'm not upsetting you. No, sorry. But it was... It's hard when you realise that actually someone sees those things that you do. Yeah, but m m a great relief, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, and so, so she got the ball rolling for the um, the autism assessment referrals. And then that was a long process. <laughs> yeah. That was a good two years. So, right, okay. Um, from that point. So then you, you got the ASD diagnosis just in December. Yeah, yeah, in December. And 
and to me, um, we didn't actually, we weren't allowed in when they were working with him. Okay. So we sat in this cafe around the corner for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours thinking, what on earth is going on in there? What are they doing? And, um, and when they came out, the, the, they didn't give us any clue as to whether they thought he was on the spectrum or not. He just said he did the most fantastic handstand in the middle of assessment. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Um, And when we got the phone call in the December, um, like I say, it could have gone either way really, because he didn't fit neatly into any little boxes. Um, and he said, yes, you know, he is on the spectrum. That was like, the relief. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. I can imagine. And and have you, what's been the benefit of getting that final bit of diagnosis? Um, it sounds really awful, but there is a whole lot of, I told you so, because I doubted myself as a parent. Um, you know, it took a while for, for my husband to get his head around it all, um, took it all into school and all of a sudden, you know, okay, it's six months down the line, but we have communication interaction team coming in. CAMS have now accepted him onto the waiting list, which they wouldn't do before. Um, we've got further occupational therapy visits. It's. It, I know people say that, you know, you should still get all the support without a diagnosis, but you don't. Mm-hmm. You really don't. Yeah. And then for Tom, I, I didn't want to tell him straight away. I was kind of in my head rehearsing what I was going to say to him. And he kept asking me, well, am I autistic? And I said, well, do you think you are? And and he said, well, yeah. And I said, okay, I had a phone call today. And yes, you are. And he was like, oh, that's great. And he went into the gymnastics hall, because we're always on our way to a gymnastics hall. He went straight in. He told his coaches. He told the group of friends that he has there um, that night. Fantastic. Um, Because the coaches came back to me and said, we hear you've got a diagnosis. Wow. It's yeah. And then gradually he's told school Mm -hmm. friends because he doesn't have as much of a relationship with his school friends as he does with the the boys that he trains with. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I I think, I think you're, you're so right about that. I told you so thing. And I thank you for saying that and being that honest, because I think that there'd be so many people that feel exactly the same way. And it is almost (laughs) just a relief, the diagnosis in so many ways. It just backs up everything you've been saying and also gets access to all that support. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, that's that's great. And so the, the gymnastics that he goes to then, that's mainstream gymnastics club. Yeah. And so are they very good with him? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not sure that everybody that coaches him um because they have several coaches that that they work with um really understands but we just happened that one of the boys coach he he works in a preschool and he's a senko ah oh. so he's he's pretty clued up and yeah. actually if he can't get tom to understand what he should be doing he'll physically pick him up and put him in the positions that he right. needs to and the same with his head coach. She's very good at just picking him up and throwing him around as to where she wants him mm-hmm. um, if he's not understanding. Um, and she was very, very good last weekend when he was really, you know, he'd completely lost it. And he'd sat down on the track with his head in his hands and she just, I don't know what she says or does with him, but she she switches him back on again. So, yeah, they were very good. 
Awesome. So when, when the GP suggested to you take Tom to gymnastics because he's swinging about mm-hmm. um, and you decided, yeah, okay, let's, let's try that. Did, was Tom up for it when you first mentioned it? Um, yeah, I think so. Because at the time he was going through a phase where he spent most of his life doing headstands. Okay. So whether that was on the floor, on the sofa, yeah. uh, we would do his reading. We'd get his reading books out and he would read upside down. Okay. Um, so we suggested taking him to a gymnastics hall and we took him to, um, we're, we're in between two towns um, where we live. We took him to one town, um, it was a, a Monday and he went into this um, session with a whole load of other children for a trial session and he came out in tears. He absolutely hated it. Mm. And I thought, mm, okay, maybe we're not going to do that then. Yeah. And then I had a, a reply from another gymnastics hall um, about 20 minutes away and I um, arranged for him to go on the Saturday and my husband took him and she does her trial sessions with just one or two children in okay and she just said yeah he's a natural and he'll he started the following week wow um, and we haven't looked back really we've gone from one hour a week to six and a half hours a week wow spread over four days yeah um, yeah it's just completely amazing so what is it that you think has made him naturally good at gymnastics? Is it a natural talent or is it part of having autism Is that it, or is it just separate and that he was just... Well, I think it's probably a mixture of both because mm-hmm. because he is repetitive and he does like to spend lots of time upside down. That helps. Um, you know, like I say, he spent hours, days, weeks upside down hanging from a door frame um, on like a trapeze swing. Yeah. He was doing pull-ups on the pull-up bar. He's on monkey bars in the garden. Um, we've got a huge 12-foot trampoline, which takes up half my garden now. <laughs> but he is repetitive. Yeah. So the autism helps with the, the repeating things. Because sometimes you go to a gym session and you do the same moves for an hour. Yes. Um, and, you know, that's not for every child. No. But the autism helps him in that way. But it does, sometimes it is like somebody hasn't switched on part of his brain. Mm-hmm. And that's the worrying side when, as he starts to get more, more difficulty and, you know, needs to concentrate a little bit more. And if there are those days where his coordination's out, yeah, it's horrific. <laughs> it's terrible to watch as a parent. I bet it's frightening sometimes, probably. It is, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because that, that, that makes so much sense that in order to be excel at anything, whether it's gymnastics or anything, you need to practice, which yeah. is basic repetition of you know either information in or being in certain positions or whatever so it it kind of makes total sense that it would complement his nature it is hard on the days when things aren't going right and he he doesn't accept failure and he doesn't accept um you know his coach is very good at pulling a positive out so if he's at a session where you know nine times out of ten he's landed on his bottom mm-hmm. rather than on his feet She'll say, but think of that, you know, that great somersault you did. And she is really good at picking the positives out. He won't see that at all. No. He, no. So those days when he's really down or if his anxiety levels are high and things just aren't going right, it's hard to turn those around. Yeah. But then he'll turn up the next session and it will be completely different. Yeah. So And that brings him back up again. Fantastic. I also use it. I, I probably shouldn't and I'll get shot down for it, but... um. His motivation to eat is his gymnastics as well. And I will quite often use the phrase, no eat, no compete. 
Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't eat your meals this week, you cannot compete on the weekend because you won't be well enough. Yeah, well, I don't think you get shot down for that. That's just looking out for him because, you know, he's he needs to be strong and full of energy to be able to perform those things. Um, but also it's a nice little tool in your armory mm. to motivate him to do it. I, mean, I think all parents do that, although we know deep down we probably shouldn't, but we all do. We all have our little carrots that we dangle for them. Well, it's an important one for him because if he hasn't got the energy, he can't perform. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what about Katie, his sister? Has she shown any interest in gymnastics? A little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, she's not as keen to repeat things as, as her brother. Okay. So um, she goes to the dance class, which is in the hall next door. Right. But, um, yeah, there is a little bit there. She's starting to do some cartwheels and handstands, and, yeah. and he's coaching her. And the lovely thing, you know, you can hear in his voice how he he just he copies every word that his coaches say and delivers it in the same way. Um, it's, it's very it's very sweet. Oh. It's very sweet. So do they get on pretty well? Um, no, they fight like cat and dog, actually. <laughs> like most brothers and yeah, sisters. Like yeah, like normal brothers and sisters do. Yeah. yeah. OK. And how do you think um, having Tom as a big brother has impacted on Katie? Um, Katie has, um, she's quite an independent little thing. She always has been, mm -hmm. um, but she's had to be a lot more independent. And the biggest thing for me is I see the impact of his sensory issues around food and how they impact on her. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's a really difficult one for me. Yeah. Um, but she has occasionally, she will say, Oh, I really wish he didn't have autism. Because he, when he's lost it, and you know, particularly in the car after school, when he has, he needs that time to to cool off. Um, she'll say something, and he'll absolutely explode. Yeah, and that's difficult because she has to deal with the aggression. I know I've spoke to Lorraine before. I know that sometimes that's that's how it is in their house too. Absolutely, um, it's really tough. Then really tough. Yeah, but equally probably makes. Katie and Joe, Jamie's little brother, like more exceptional than maybe their peers because they've they've ha have to deal with, you know, a, a more difficult home life, I suppose, and that things yeah. can change at any moment and they can't always, you know, you can have a plan and it will go out the window because something's happened. Mm. So really you're equipping them with um, amazing skills for the future in terms of being flexible and considerate and... Um, adaptable, which, you know, a lot of other families maybe don't get exposed to as early. So you could argue that it's a shame for them and they're living through it. But longer term, they're going to be equipped with amazing skills for life. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Um, you know, she's she is. She's a very caring. She's a very caring little girl. Yeah. But I do. She, she also feels that she doesn't get enough of my time. Yeah. Uh, and that's the one thing I think we all struggle with. Um, any any parent of any child with any additional needs the other child always is in the background a little bit as much as you try for them not to yes uh, so fingers crossed we're off for a girls weekend and I've got to leave the boys to to sort out gymnastics training and remembering to give meds at the right times and started to write lists now <laughs> to follow <clears throat> so we're going to have a little bit of um, girl time next weekend great because I was going to ask that how how do you do you have to do you put things in place to try and do your very best to give her that time? 
Um, does it tend to be something that you do routinely or is it like special things like weekends and things like that? I try. Um, it's really difficult because I tend to be the one who does the gymnastics runs. I'm also, um, my husband works away quite often Monday to Friday. Okay. So I do juggle um, quite a bit on my own. Yeah. But yeah, and we, we do try and, um, you know, this weekend it, we are going to, we're going to be just the two of us. Yeah. How, how do you it's feel when you leave husband and Tom behind? Are you anxious about it or are you, able, yeah. are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm going to write sort of lists of what needs doing morning and night and, and I will, it will be in my mind that, um, my husband not is he's not as tuned in I just don't like I can see before the meltdowns come I can I can sense that that change is coming um and I'm getting better at being more beige at <laughs> <laughs> just letting things ride and picking those fights and sometimes you know when he's negative and the comments are coming I just have to ignore it and walk away mm -hmm. and I think my husband because he doesn't spend as much time with him is gonna gonna have a joyful weekend <laughs> <laughs> and it'd be a learning experience for them all yeah absolutely I know I know Lorraine often feels the same that she's you know her husband works shifts etc as you probably know but um so she's very anxious often when you know leaving Jamie behind and even even time as a couple can be really hard. Do you find that hard as well? Yeah, I mean we we only have one person that we leave the children with, right? Um, and she's actually she's very good with them both. But um, because it's not so bad now. Now we have melatonin in our lives. It, it makes life a little easier because I know that he will give in and go to sleep at some point. Yes. Whereas before, I would worry that he would be up all night. So yeah, it would make time for us really difficult and we're getting a little bit better with that and he's getting a bit better so if we do go out as a family mm -hmm. it's a little bit more enjoyable than it used to be we know ways around things now and you pick your days but. yeah yeah and how do you think um having a child on the spectrum has impacted on you or changed you or affected you um well i, I no longer have a career now mm. um what did you do I used to work in IT, okay. Uh, but you can't work in IT. Um, the sort of environments that I worked in, part time, um, you know, it's difficult to run teams of IT staff when you, you know, you can only do part time. And I couldn't leave right from an early age. I couldn't leave Tom for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. um, so I work around the, the children's school hours now, and I work locally so that if I need to, I can nip into school. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult because you need a really understanding boss because, you know, sometimes you get a flurry of appointments. Yes. And you find that, you know, in three weeks you might have five or six appointments that you need to be in, you know, and they're never at convenient times. <laughs> so, yeah, that side of things, it's really, it's it's difficult. And then you might not have anything for a few months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and you start to settle in things and to relax and then something will go wrong again or, yeah. you know, a new appointment comes and then you have a flurry of other appointments because of that one. And So what, what is yeah. it you do now? What should... Um, I, I'm an admin assistant for a company locally. So. Right. Okay. And do, do you miss IT? Do you miss that career or are you happy doing what you're doing? 
I miss the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't miss the pressure, but I do miss um, having, you know, something outside of the home. Yes. That, you know, I mean, at the moment, I, wor- I work very locally, so I work in a small village company yeah. that, that's, you know, not far from here. So I, sometimes I don't get out of the village unless we're going to the gymnastics hall. Yeah. Um, so have yeah, there been any any positive effects of having a child with autism? Definitely. I've met I've met some of the most wonderful people. Um, I've met, um, I, I think I've experienced every part of the NHS that you could possibly experience with a child. Mm-hmm. But I also um, have met some wonderful people, you know, for example, like Lorraine. I would dearly love to come and catch up with all these people at the autism show. Are you coming? But, um, I, I don't think I can, oh. um, which is a real shame. But maybe next year, for better planning, maybe yeah. next year. Um, and obviously Mona from from Just Awesome and and just some of the support groups that I've got involved with and some of the people that I've talked to um, and we're all in the same boat and sometimes late at night when you're having one of those days you can just send someone a message someone that you've never met before Mm -hmm. but we've talked online and we've no you know we've exchange stuff that most people wouldn't say about their children or you know just the, the honesty of it all yes um, yes. So yeah, I've met some fantastic people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and from Tom's point of view, when you look at him, what are the positives for him? Obviously, being able to apply his repetitive, his love of repetition into a sport which he's excelling at and progressing through. Are there any other things that you look at and you think, wow? Um, well, we had. Um we had a moment in the again in the gymnastics hall the other week and um he was sat with another little lad and they were waiting for their session and he was with this uh, one of the older boys and um i don't know how the conversation came up something along the lines of i don't like to be touched and and tom said i don't like to be touched because i'm autistic and the other boy said don't look autistic to me and he said what does autism look like and i was so proud yeah and he's He's getting better at, you know, he said, well, if you don't believe me, go and ask my mum. And I was wearing my Just Awesome t-shirt as well, yeah. just for a chance. And um, it's, it's been about, for him, he's, he's growing in confidence. He, he knows who he is. He's quite interested in how his mind works. And he's, he's already educating people around him. Fantastic. You know, it's, his confidence is amazing. And <clears> that's partly because of gymnastics. But even since we had that diagnosis in December... You know, he's yeah. more confident with who he is and why he is the way he is. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm sure that I've read somewhere that the earlier that you can get a diagnosis, the more positive it is for mental health on, ongoing. Because rather than wondering, why am I like this? And am I just weird or different or whatever else? Yeah. Then it allows them to hang a reason on it that it's just who they are and it's just who yeah. they are. And then that's fine. Um, so... You know, I suppose SPD diagnosis, what, at five, six, did you say? Yeah. And yeah. then... Just before he was six. Yeah, and then, what, eight, eight, nine for his ASD yeah. is um, quite early. So that's positive, and it, it will just become part of who he is, and he'll yeah. be able to accept it. So that's really positive. Definitely. Okay, so... I, it's been fascinating chatting. What's the future for Tom? What are his dreams uh, well, if you ask Tom, he would say he wants to be an Olympic gymnast. Um, 
I'm not sure how realistic that is, but um, I having watched him and the way he's grown the last few weeks, maybe for him, um, he would like to get involved in coaching other children. And that mm. is something that they do at the gym from quite an early age. Brilliant. So, um, yeah, I would like to think that would happen. Okay. Um, I have no idea where we're going in terms of, of secondary school with him. Um, mm because I don't know whether he'll cope with a mainstream secondary. Yeah. Having walked around a couple, um, I'm a little bit terrified myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know. Um, you know, he's nine and he's competing for the Southwest gymnastics team. Um, I'm pleased for him wherever he goes, to be honest. Yeah, and you must be very proud of all of you, all he's achieved in two and a half years of gymnastics training and, and competing nationally. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and... So if you were going to give a final kind of message to the world about your, I don't know, tips for surviving being an autism parent or for the benefits of it or an outlook on life, what would it be? Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, you know, I could say about not doubting yourself because you know your parent, uh, you know your child better than anybody else. Um and, and they don't come with a manual, so you do make mistakes. And the biggest thing that I've learned is, you know, okay, you just learn from that mistake and move on. Yeah. Um, but I would also say the biggest thing for me has been getting involved in support groups. Um, yeah. And and I haven't physically gone and, and, and got involved in them, but I have got involved in ones online. And they've been really, really helpful. Good. Um, you know, sometimes... Even now, years and years of dealing with sensory difficulties, somebody will come up with a suggestion. You think, why did I not think of that? Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably my biggest tip is to get involved, you know, whether that's online or a physical group. But yes. So that you know you're not on your own. Yeah. And you can swap chicken nugget stories. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, brilliant. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Claire. Thank you very, very much. And good luck to Tom in his next round of competitions. Thank you. All right. Okay. So with the absence of Jenny, I'm going to say, Luna, what did you think of that? Yeah, it was very good, wasn't it? Yeah. So I really enjoyed that podcast. I've been looking forward to that because... I can relate to Claire myself on so many levels. I've always thought we've had a lot in common, but after listening to that, we have so much more in common. And the part about food, for me, it's just one of those battles that I'm not willing to fight. If all Jamie will eat is nuggets, then that's what Jamie's going to get. And I know a lot of us are on the same page when it comes to that. So thank you, Claire. That was a great podcast. Next week, we have Richie. And I know a lot of you will be excited about that because Richie has a lot of fans and he's a great, amazing guy. So tune in for that one. And... Uh, ooh, what are we doing this week? We are going to have some videos probably popping up within the VIC group and uh, maybe in the sensory support group. These are going to be videos about how our new discounts are working because we finally got them up and running. And we're really excited to show you how they work, how much you can get off, the best ways to use them and how to save some money when you sign up for a subscription with us. So we'll see you next week. Bye. Say bye, Luna. Say bye. Say meow, meow. Meow, meow. Bye-bye. You know what?